Hello and welcome to this episode of the Two Cent Sport Podcast. My name is JR, and as always, I'm joined by the marvelous Joey Thompson. How you doing, Marv? Hey, what's up, JR? I'm doing great, man. Just enjoying the weather, trying to enjoy this upcoming football season. And I don't know, man, um, but I'm ready for some football. Aren't we all? It's about time to get that back on the counter. I always dread fall. Because I dread winter, I love fall, but it's good. to Football always eases the pain of winter around the corner, so it's going to be a great season. I'm really looking forward to it, and we're going to get into some topics about that. But before we get started, I want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Ringer. That's R-I-N-G-R.com. Go ahead and visit ringer.com slash two cents pod. So that's T-W-O-C-N-T pod, P-O-D, to save 25% and get your podcast started today. I also want to mention to follow us on Facebook, Two Cent Sports Podcast on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at Two Cent Sports Pod. And we're on Twitter at Two Cent Marv. Marv is running the Twitter account, so give him all the grief. I'm not on Twitter. I don't really do that, but... I'll hear what you guys have to say to Marv. We'll talk about it. But without any further ado, let's get into it. I want to start with this. The Cleveland Browns are owning the headlines. They're owning the offseason. When you look at the numbers, I'm a big stats guy. I think stats is really important. But I also think real life, real life data, let's call it real life data, the happenings in reality are are equally important. But I like statistics. So when I go ahead and I look at Vegas, those guys don't get rich out there without knowing what they're doing. And when you look at Vegas, they have the Browns as a nine over under nine wins. So that tells me that Vegas thinks they're, they're an above average team. They're on the bubble for the playoffs, but at nine wins, nine and seven, that typically doesn't cut it. And when I look at the Browns structurally, though, how they act, how they behave, I don't like it. I don't want my quarterback, Marv, what do you call it? Biting into beers, chugging, chugging his beer at the, at the yeah, game. I, 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 I don't like that. I was just wondering if there was a special type of, of chugging. I don't know what that is. He bit into it. I, I've honestly never done that. I've never seen that. I, I've seen like poking a hole in it and doing it, but he bit into it. That was interesting. Anyways, <laughs> very, very frat like behavior, which, most players, I don't have a problem with. Quarterback, I'd like my quarterback to be more like a statesman, like an ambassador. And then you look at Odell Beckham, a lot of noise, a lot of noise. And then you have other mouths to feed. You have Jarvis Landry, another pro ball receiver. You have David Njoku, one of the best up-and-coming tight ends. You have a, a general manager who doesn't care a lot about character, which can be a concern for me. Generally speaking, I don't like the Browns, but for some reason, I have this notion, this feeling that the Browns are the exception to the rule. And let me tell you why. Yes, I don't like Baker Mayfield's behavior as a quarterback. I, I, I've said that. I would much rather have drafted Sam Darnold. I much prefer his temperament and his demeanor. And I think Sam is going to be incredibly successful in the NFL. But there's something about Baker. Have you ever watched him on Miked Up? Have you ever watched him around his teammates? He brings a certain level of respect that other quarterbacks may not be able to handle, especially in a situation in Cleveland where it's a low self-esteem sports city. They might just need somebody who's a little overconfident because they've certainly been lacking for confidence for a long time. And you look at the situation of depth. They have a lot of depth. I like that as well. And and let me take a step back to Baker. Baker reminds me a little bit. Of, I know it's cliche. A lot of people have been saying it, but Baker reminds me about Brett of Brett Favre, a Hall of Fame quarterback, who was also the exception to the rule. You wouldn't want your quarterback behaving like Brett Favre, but Brett Favre made it happen. If you look at the film that was out just a couple of weeks ago, he was at a uh, dinner, a sponsored dinner or something like that. He admitted he didn't even know what a nickel defense was. It didn't didn't face him much. Yes, he threw a lot of interceptions. He took a lot of chances, but he's a Hall of Fame Super Bowl winning quarterback. So I see Baker in that mold as the exception to the rule. But the Browns have depth. If Odell goes down, he's a lot of noise, but also injury prone. 
They have Jarvis. They have David Njoku. This team seems like they have something special, dare I say, Marv. How do you feel about the Browns? Um, I I really like the Browns and the potential they they hold. Uh, they recently traded uh, one of their running backs to the Texans for a late route pick to make room for Nick Chubb, who's was a stud to finish off the season last year when Carlos Hyde was traded to the Jaguars. Uh, their offensive line has always been pretty stout regardless of how bad the team has always been over the years. Their offensive line has always been a strong point. So I like their offensive line and their running game. They added a big weapon in Odell Beckham. You know, with all the noise to the side, the Browns are really talented. Over the years, they've been picking really high in the top five and sometimes top ten. Uh, but normally they always picked in the top five and they've been rounding up a lot of talent. And finally we get a chance to see, you know, a result to all this talent that they've been stacking actually get put out on the field. And hopefully they, they're the team to watch this year. I mean, Baker Mayfield is, is an amazing athlete for his size. He's under, you know, very undersized for the quarterback position in the NFL, but he's proved a lot of people wrong. His first season, once he came out there, he, he brought hope to the city. The city, you know, was used to losing. They didn't know what winning was. Then Baker Mayfield came and then they're winning about six or seven games. I mean, I like a guy like that because regardless of all the hoopla and, and, and the rah-rah and the acting like a uh, college frat boy, Baker brings hope to the city. He also, uh, brings life to the city. He gets the fans excited after every big play. And I think that, like you said, I think that's the type of guy that Cleveland needed. They needed a guy to revive that city from the ashes and, you know, help them become a relevant uh, franchise again like they were back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, the Browns and, and Baker are kind of a, a great marriage when you look at it. Look, I'll be the first to admit. I hated Baker Mayfield as the number one overall draft pick. I would have taken Sam Darnold. If you look at it, it's it's tough to say who has a brighter future when you're a quarterback. A lot of it relies on your weapons. The Jets have loaded up, and, and pro football focus had Sam Darnold as the best quarterback in the NFL for the last four years. So I still stand by that. But like I alluded to, and and like you said, there's something about this marriage between a low self-esteem franchise and a overconfident individual. Is he necessarily what I'd want? Does he have the qualifications to be a franchise quarterback by his behavior? Absolutely not. But there's also someone in the highest office in the United States who doesn't exactly have the behavior of of a qualified individual to be president. And that's not meant to be political commentary, but he certainly is outside of the realm of what a normal president looks like. And I see something similar in Baker where I don't really like his behavior and how he talks and how he, what he does off the field, but most of it's harmless chugging a beer at the end of the day. So what he's not in trouble with the law. Yes, he was in college, but he seems to have put that behind him. He's a married man. Now he seems to be maturing and growing and stumbling a little bit less with the media. Uh, I know he was on, Barstool's podcast, and they tried to bait him into talking about his his number one critic, Colin Cowherd. He didn't bite. He didn't. He didn't go for the bait. So he seems to be maturing a little bit as time goes on. When when I look at the front office, that's where you actually have to start. That's who brought Baker Mayfield in. And Marv, the front office guy's name is escaping me. Who? What? Get his name. I, I I'll, I'll have to look it up. But what what I'm saying here is the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, he unlike in the past, he seems to know what he's doing. This guy, John Dorsey, the general manager for the Cleveland Browns, I don't really like the fact, like I mentioned just a minute ago, not big on character with his players, not really concerned a lot about that. When you look at stable franchises in the past, the blueprint for stable franchise, let's call it, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and the Indianapolis Colts under Tony Dungy. Very stable, talented franchises. Number one uh, qualification to be on the team was character. If you had character flags, you had a problem. You would not be on their team. 
You look at what the Colts are doing now, Chris Ballard building a culture, building a structure uh, of high character players, high IQ players. And it doesn't seem to be what the Browns are doing. But when you continually hit on picks like John Dorsey has been hitting on picks, you can have guys miss four games, eight games, whatever. You know, Kareem Hunt is out for eight games, but really, who cares? They have they have a lot of depth at running back. So they have Nick Chubb. They have uh, they're they're about three deep at running back. I know not Duke Johnson, but they have a second year player whose name I forget. He's been pretty impressive in the time that I've seen him. Yeah, Marv, I'm 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 going to jump on the Browns bandwagon. Not not as a fan, but I. I I got to go with the Browns. I think they're going to have a successful season. You put them as a 10-win team. I put them in that 9-10 to win range. But even that, wouldn't you say a 9-win season for the Browns is a big step in the right direction? I believe 9 wins is a, it's a big step in the right direction for the Cleveland Browns. And if they win 9 games, that would be a right step in the right direction. And then next year they could just build on it and then possibly you know, be a 10 or 11 or even a 12-win team. You know, it's baby steps. They're still a young team. I mean, they do, they did add some good pieces like OBJ and, you know, some other veterans. But, uh, it, this league, uh, sometimes you gotta take some baby steps. So we're gonna see what kind of leap the Browns make. And I think it's gonna be a positive one. And hopefully, you know, for all our sakes and Vegas sake, the Browns make that. And for the NFL sake, because it's, 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 you know, it's going to be great for the NFL if the Cleveland Browns are a good franchise again. And um, I'm, I'm excited to see how it turns out. I think you make a great point with the fact that there is building blocks in the NFL. The media, the fans, especially Browns fans, I, I get the feeling that it's playoff or bust for everybody. But it's, wait a second, it usually takes a team two to three years to go from three wins to six wins to 10 wins. It usually doesn't happen overnight. There are exceptions. The Rams went from about three wins to the the playoffs, which was really a lot of free agency manipulation, kind of like the Browns are doing. I'm not saying that that the Browns are going to make the playoffs and win 10 games this year. I think they'll be in that nine to 10 game range though. But what I am saying is if I was a stockbroker, I would say, Buy the Browns. I am buying the Browns. Speaking of Browns, there's another Brown that I want to talk about, Antonio Brown. What in the world is going on with this this guy? I don't know if you all have been watching Hard Knocks. I've watched uh, both of the episodes that are out so far. And Antonio Brown burned his feet in cryo chamber, cryotherapy when his body is his instrument to play. He's been, it's not his first time in a cryotherapy chamber. I know it was abroad. I believe it was in Paris, in France. He didn't wear his footwear. He got frostbite, which is a very serious injury. He's lucky that he's made it this far already. And then he wants to wear his helmet because he can't get a new helmet. He's got like 60 helmets to choose from, but he wants to wear the one that he's worn for the last 10 years because of visibility or because he wants to be a circus clown? I'm not sure because he needs attention on him. Marv, when I'm looking at Antonio Brown, I see a guy who's let the money go to his head. Make no mistake, I see a great work ethic in Antonio Brown. He was a six-round draft pick. He was overlooked, chip on his shoulder, incredibly hard worker by all reports and takes the game very seriously. But I, I do not mean to state this lightly. Are we looking at a guy who's been hit in the head too many times with that helmet? That helmet, there is a reason for that helmet not being legal anymore because I don't I don't know if this is a mental health problem that we talk about in the NFL all the time with getting hit in the head too much or he's just that much of a showman. What are we looking at, Marv? What is going on? I think you may be on to something, JR. I think – this guy's been hit too many times in the head, and that's why he wants to wear his own helmet because I think it's those hits to the head have, may have affected him, and he's afraid that, you know, with this new helmet, he takes a hit to the head, he might go over the edge. Not that he's probably already gone over the edge, but it seems he's losing his mind. He's let the fame get to his head. He's not the same Antonio Brown. I remember when he first came to the league, he was quiet. You know, he just did his uh, – he let the game do his talking. Now – He's doing a lot of talking on social media, a lot of talking 
in the media, and he's making a fool out of himself, and it, it, it looks bad. And I mean, maybe this whole time he's been, you know, been just staying low key until he became possibly one of the best receivers after Jerry Rice to come on the scene. But now it's like, at first it was funny, but now it's a little worrisome. You know, I feel a little worried for Antonio. I'm like, wow, this is how far you've come to act this way. And you seem to be seeking a lot of attention for no reason. And you're a great player. We all know this, but why are you, you know, acting like this? You're acting worse than someone in a, in a crazy house. I mean, if it's to that point, he needs to seek some psychological help because it's turned off a lot of people. In today's society, it seems that any sort of publicity is good publicity. So I'll offer up another theory. Perhaps Antonio Brown realizes that this is his last contract or his last high-paying contract. He's been in the league for quite some time now. He's at the end of a wide receivers. He's hit his 30s. He's at the end of his wide receiver peak. Unless he's Jerry Rice, I don't think he's quite that great. But he is a phenomenal player. Could it be possible that he's building a brand for himself beyond football? I know a lot of guys are focused on playing for that 10 to 12-year range instead of stretching it out to 15 to 20 like like they used to if they were able to. It's very rare, but... Great players would stretch out their careers to a tremendous length of time, whereas Gronk says eight seasons, I'm out. It's time to build my brand. Is Antonio Brown potentially building a brand here by doing this that appeals to someone somewhere, Marv? I mean, he could be going down that route, similar to what T.O. and Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco started doing towards the end of their careers. But obviously, as we could tell, it kind of negatively affected those guys who Brown is currently uh, reminding me of going towards the end of their careers where they started, you know, becoming their own showman and showing up a lot and, you know, trying to get a lot of attention. Of course, T.O. made it to the Hall of Fame after a second time because he was being, you know, blackballed for his antics. And then, of course, Chad Ochocinco still... I don't think he's going to make the Hall of Fame at this point. Who knows? It may take a while. Uh, but either way, Antonio Brown is at that level right now where he's, you know, he's screaming for attention. And like I said, a lot of people are not liking it. I mean, I'm surprised that John Gruden went out of, out of his way and defended Antonio Brown. I guess, you know, he's just trying to keep things uh, cool. So Antonio Brown doesn't lose it and then decide to retire, but I doubt he's going to do that because I think he was just bluffing. He just wanted the attention, and the NFL told him to kick rocks. But um, yeah, I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt. It's great, you know, he's, for him. Maybe he's trying to extend his career after football. Who knows? I just wish him the best, and I hope you know he can get healthy. So so he's ready for Week One to play Denver Broncos because I don't want to hear no excuses. And Antonio Brown did not play because he injured his feet. That's that's just baloney. But anyways, um, I wish him well, and I hope he gets his mind right and, and focuses on football and stops, you know, doing all these little antics. John Gruden has to defend Antonio Brown because, well, for a couple reasons. Number one, he's essentially the franchise player right now. He's brought in to develop Derek uh, Carr. So it's really important, I think, for his development to to have him on the field. And number two, he's there to sell tickets. He's there to sell. T- the Raiders need to sell tickets. They're not going to win a lot of games this year, we don't think. I certainly don't think so. They, they, they have a chance to win more than we think. They have a chance to go 8-8. Eight and eight. Derek Carr is a underrated quarterback in the league, in my opinion. The ad- addition of Antonio Brown will certainly help his development and prove him to be a worthy franchise quarterback, a lower-end franchise quarterback. But when you look at what's coming in the draft and what else is out there, the Raiders will stand pat, I believe, with with an above-average performance with him this year. So that, that to me, explains why Gruden's defending him. I'm sure Gruden's tearing his hair out in private, thinking this guy's a whack job. But my concern, which I brought up in the very beginning, is 
what is the NFL going to do about player safety? And it, and I don't mean to make it some sort of political issue, but when you have somebody coming out and, and behaving in such a way, it, it brings our attention back to, are these guys taking too many shots to the head? And, and, and in, in terms of Antonio Brown, with the guys that you mentioned, Terrell Owens and Chad Ochocinco, there's certainly a correlation between this behavior and being broke because both of them are broke and in bankruptcy. And I know in America, when you've been this rich and this famous, there is really no such thing as broke. But bankrupt is not a good place you want to be when you've earned $100 million or near $100 million in your career. I want to wish him the best, and I hope he's all right, and I hope it really is truly just showmanship. And he is not nuts, but I'm I'm concerned, and I hope that the Raiders do everything that they can to get him under control and, and truly help him and that he's able to seek help if he needs it because, man, this is erratic, unlike we've ever seen. I'm all for a good show. I'm all for branding, but this is wild. It's it's beyond wild. Business is booming. <laughs> if he th- if, hey, if business is booming and the bank account's looking good and his head is, is truly healthy, I'm all for it. It's quite the show, and he's got us talking about him, Marv. He's got a lot of people talking about him, so he could be just playing us. But, wow, I, a helmet? <laughs> cryotherapy it's it's some weird storylines it's incredibly strange but there are a lot of strange things that are good for business in america these days it's it's strange times indeed <laughs> i want to shift to this breaking news earlier today out of los angeles via nevada las vegas nevada boogie cousins was playing in pickup and doing some training, and he has now torn his ACL. This is his second major injury, third injury in two years. Marv, we talked about it in the podcast a little while back, that, and, and it was my theory that the Los Angeles Lakers could be more competitive than we initially thought with the Clippers because they could play inside out, meaning there's a couple things overlooked by the talking heads on TV and by fans and that's interior defense, and that is a byproduct of the second thing, length. So what the – and I'll add a third thing, interior offense as well, by controlling the tempo of play. That was the only way you could basically stop the Warriors by playing good defense and slowing down the tempo of play. You always have to hit your three-point shots, but you could play inside out that way. So when you look at the Lakers, they had the potential to have a lot of length on the court with DeMarcus Cousins. And with Anthony Davis, with those players controlling the middle, they could slow down the game and combat a great perimeter team in the Clippers. Let's not forget the Warriors. They're still going to be able to hit a lot of threes. They're still going to be a very good team without Kevin Durant, highly overlooked. So when you look at the trend of the league, they could kind of buck that trend with two dominant interior big men. Now Boogie Cousins has got a torn ACL. You have... Nobody really left to fulfill to to fill that roster spot at this point that you can make up for it with. You have the whole league trending away from big men due to this very reason that they cannot stay healthy. They cannot be reliable. Boogie Cousins can't be relied on anymore. Marv, can he? And where do the Lakers go from here? Man, this injury has really put the Lakers in a very tough uh, position. Um there's really not much help in the free agency market right now. Anyone that's going to be able to fill that void that Boogie's going to leave behind, at least he's going to be out for a good, good while. And they never really said the extent of the injury. Uh, if it was a full or partial tear, but regardless, he's going to be out at least, at least six to 12 months. So it all really depends on how fast he heals. Maybe we're lucky it's only a partial tear and he comes back for the playoffs. But even then, we saw how effective he was with the Warriors once he missed like almost all year, came back in January, and then got injured again in the playoffs. So really, it's all about his conditioning and how his body reacts to the um, to the surgeries and um, while he rehabs. So hopefully this is just a minor setback for him. I was really rooting for the guy because, man, how how far has the mighty fallen? He went from making about $22 million a year to 
barely signed him for three million dollars a year, and now with this major injury, teams are gonna really have him under the microscope and say, "Well, look, you've missed about two thirds of the last three seasons. We don't trust you anymore, so you're gonna have to prove it that you can stay one healthy and two lead a team or at least be competent enough to score at least twenty plus points per game and do what you used to do." And at this time and age, the way how old he is now, I'm sure he's pushing 30 or he's close to it. It's not going to be easy for him. So I feel really bad for him. You know, I was I was looking forward to seeing the Lakers uh, form a really good team with Boogie, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James. But unfortunately, I think he pushed himself too too hard during the offseason, and I think that's what led to his injury. So prayers go out with the Boogie Cousins and. I I hope, you know, the Lakers could at least fill that void. Meanwhile, maybe sign someone or get a young guy in there that overexceeds expectations and helps the Lakers not, you know, lose a beat while Boogie is uh, healthy enough to come back on the court. DeMarcus Cousins, by the way, is 29 years old. So he is pushing that 30 30 years of age mark. And it really is going to hurt his pocketbook, no doubt. And, and I do as well sympathy to the guy because it's really going to be tough for him going forward from being the dominant superstar, albeit almost invisible because he was in Sacramento. Unfortunately, none of us really got to see it, but he was a dominant high usage player. And that at being a 6'11", 270 pound man, these guys are around seven feet tall and really big. It's a lot of damage, a lot of wear and tear on their joints. And I, it seems to be the case. I, and that also makes me admire LeBron a little bit more, and as everybody should, for the durability and the amount of time that he's put into his body that cannot be overlooked because he's not quite seven foot, but he's not small either. He's six foot eight, about 265. So it's just amazing how, how far LeBron's come but and and how much he's played, whether he's played another game or not in the rest of his career for the run that he put together of, 16 years of injury-free basketball was remarkable. And as fans, I think we have to appreciate that a little bit more, Whether no matter the sport, the durability, the best availability. The best ability is availability, and I think that's often overlooked. But even when DeMarcus Cousins is available again, he cannot be relied on at all, in my opinion. And it, and it leads me to the question, like you said, Marv, hopefully somebody can pick it up. I don't want to overlook the value of Kyle Kuzma. I'm a big buyer in the stock that is Kyle Kuzma. You have your big three of LeBron, AD, and Kuzma being the third. And I think Kuzma can be the third best player on a championship team. But this Boogie Cousins news is a big blow. Where do the Lakers stand right now, in your opinion, Marv, going forward into the season? I mean, I still think they're a um, top six team in the West. Still think that can be probably at at the way it stands. I still think they could take take a maybe a fifth seed or a fourth seed. It all really depends on how hard LeBron James uh, carries them because I can see the look in his eyes that he wants he wants basically blood. He wants he has blood in his eyes. The man wants to kill everybody and everything in his sight. So I feel this year he's really out to prove prove everyone that he hasn't lost a step. And so he's probably going to lead the Lakers to a top five finish at that rate. And even with or without Boogie Cousins, because I think he's going to have an MVP type season where he just puts everyone on his back and says, come along for the ride. I could agree with that. I think they will finish in the top five. I see a top five finish in their future. But my concern is NBA title contention. When you look at, the Clippers and the Warriors, I'm not concerned about the Rockets. Give me a break. Uh, no concern. Russell Westbrook. What do you think about the Nuggets? Is, Russell Westbrook is the poison pill. The Nuggets, still too young, don't have a reliable star player. The Nuggets will finish in the top three in the Western Conference, to answer your question, Marv, but they will not make the NBA Finals, and I don't see them as a real threat. They don't have that dominant player. I don't trust Jokic. Or Murray, like Murray just yet. I like Murray. He's going to have to show me a lot more. So I, I think in the future, 
when you look at a year or two down the road as LeBron gets older and they get more mature in their games, I like the Nuggets, but not yeah, this year. Nice, not just yet. They project to be a really good team in the next couple of years. I agree. I, I see a really bright future with the Nuggets. But to me, first of all, we went with the over-under. I'm on the under 53 right now. LeBron can prove us wrong, but just being a smart betting-wise, you know, gambling, being wise in general, it's not a wise bet to say over 53 wins without Boogie Cousins because I had a lot of stock in Boogie Cousins being a big part of the Lakers, and I was hoping that he would finally be healthy and help combat it. But when you look at the regular season, they're going to be fine. They're going to be a 50-win team, but I have to go with the under 53 at this point, 51, 52, and the West is going to be very competitive with a lot of high-win teams. So they'll be in the top five. I'm with you there. But finals contention, this really hurts me with the Clippers ahead of them. When they have that perimeter and you don't have – what you did to combat it from the middle, from the inside out. Ugh, I, I like the Clippers as the better team already. I'm going to be selling the, the the Lakers making the finals. But like you said, LeBron wants blood. LeBron's upset. LeBron's frustrated. So I'm excited to see the adjustment in LeBron's attitude this year. And maybe we can see, dare I say, a little bit more of that Jordan-esque killer instinct that we've yet to see from LeBron in his career. Two very different players, but we could see it this year. We could see it, I think, and I, and I look forward to it. It's going to be an interesting NBA season no matter what. Marv, I want to play with the you – know, I got game fever. I know there's a little bit of NFL going on tonight. We got a couple of preseason games. I'm getting into the mood. I'm getting into, into, into the games. like to watch the tape, see what's going on, but I want to talk – NFL franchises. I want to play a game. Just a one-word game. I'm going to give you a word, and you're going to tell me the team that comes to mind when I give you this word. Are you ready? Yes, sir. When I say regressing, what team, what franchise do you think of? I think of the Tennessee Titans. Now, the reason I say Titans is because I feel like you know they got uh they got rid of their offensive or they lost their offensive coordinator uh their quarterback hasn't showed much of progress in the last couple of years Mariota he's constantly hurt and they also traded for the Miami Dolphins starting quarterback so they don't even know if my, uh Mariota may be the starter week 1 so it's 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 a big mess going on in in Tennessee right now and I feel like teams are, you know, going to continue stacking a box to slow down Henry, and that's going to force the Titans to become more of a pass-happy team, and that's not, you know, that's a that's a recipe for disaster. I just think they're going to regress this season. I've never been a fan of the Tennessee Titans. As you know, as many people know, I've never been a fan of Mariota. I've not been shy about that. If you look at his college offense from when he was a hype product, I don't know how NFL scouts missed this, but the offense was so well designed by Chip Kelly that players were completely running wide open. And that's my problem that I have with some of the younger quarterbacks in the NFL, be it Mariota, be it Trubisky. Their stats are elevated by their coaching, whether it be in college or pro. Guys are running wide open. Yes, they're able to hit them. Marv, you and I could step out there and throw it 20 yards and hit a guy wide open most of the time if he's got eight-yard separation based on play design. But Mariota has shown no durability, no ability to play football at this level. And so, yeah, it's going to continue on for the Titans. I love their team outside of their quarterback. But in the, in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, you don't have anything. If I'm going to play the game regressing, I have the Chicago Bears for the same reason. No franchise quarterback. I, I don't like Trubisky at all. I think he has a horrendous future, the same as Mariota. He's had elevated stats because his players are running wide open. The Chicago Bears are going to take a step back on a couple fronts as well. Matt Nagy's playbook is out there. I know he was a coordinator before, so it's going to be slowed down a little bit, and that's not going to help with a – 
below average quarterback in that regard. You're going to have to rely a lot on Trubisky's playmaking. He's a better runner than he is a thrower. So we'll see how that goes. That's always iffy. He could get injured, and Trubisky's better than his backup, Chase Daniel. So that wouldn't be a good thing. And the Bears got incredibly lucky on injury last year on defense. Look, they have a new coordinator. They had zero cluster injuries. Mack was injured for a, about three or four games, I believe. And then Eddie Jackson missed the last four when they already were on the verge of clinching the playoffs. They were a 9-4 and four team, I think, at the time. Somewhere around that area, I think they had nine wins and, and three losses. So they were very much confident that they were going to make the playoffs. And they lost Eddie Jackson. They had zero cluster injuries, which for those of you who don't know, cluster injury is basically somebody gets injured at safety, like Eddie Jackson gets injured, and then the next guy gets injured as well, and then you're down to your third string. That really damages teams. They had zero cluster injuries last year. They were a very healthy team. So I see the Bears regressing without a doubt to eight to nine wins and missing the playoffs. Uh, next word, Marv, stabilizing. Who's stabilizing in this league? I like the the Chiefs and how they've uh, been able to continue to be a stable team and continue to stabilize. They have a young quarterback who's still about, what, 22, 23 years old. And they're, you know, slowly trying to rebuild their defense while their offense is high flying and they're constantly winning. So I feel like they're, they're stabilizing themselves to become one of the best teams in the league, especially once Tom Brady and the Patriots start uh, regressing. Then, of course, I think the Chiefs can – you know, have the potential to be uh, the most stable franchise in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. When you have Andy Reid and you have Pat Mahomes, I, I love that pick. My stabilize, my stabilizing pick, my franchise that's stabilizing is the New York Jets. Interesting. Uh, just, just like the Cleveland Browns, I, I'm not completely sold on them this year. I'm sold on the Browns more than I am the Jets this year. But when you look at a team that's stabilizing, you have Sam Darnold, who had no offensive weapons and no coaching. And now last year in the last four games, he was the highest rated quarterback by pro football focus. So love Sam Darnold, have always loved Sam Darnold. It just turns out that Baker and Sam Darnold look like they're both on the upward and they're both going to be really good franchise quarterbacks going forward. Like I said, I would have taken Darnold first. I like his personality better. I like his demeanor. I like his calm in, in the fourth quarter. And then you look at adding Adam Gase. He's a psychopath. He's crazy, which may be <laughs> a little bit of an issue in relating to the players, but he's a really sharp offensive mind. We'll see. He may end up being a better coordinator than an than a head coach, but I really like the match there with Sam Darnold and Adam Gase, and you've added a lot of talent in that, in that realm. I see them jumping to an eight to nine win team this year. They got to play the Dolphins and the Bills. That helps. Doesn't help to play the Patriots, but the rest of the division helps. I see, and that they have Levy and Bell. I really like the Jets. Marv, chaos. Who, yes, who's in yes, chaos? Yes, yes. Chaos. So, like the earlier piece we had regarding a guy named AB, I would pick the Oakland Raiders thanks to him. Uh, he's caused the uh, Raiders to become a circus. And a laughing stock because of all his crazy, you know, weird antics that are going on right now. He's drawn more attention to what he does than what the Raiders are trying to do to establish themselves as a team on the rise. But AB has been taking all the spotlight and causing a lot of chaos in their locker room because he is complaining about his helmet and now he had this weird injury on his, you know, that occurred regarding his feet. Uh, so at this time, I don't see that chaos stopping any soon until AB decides to just shut his mouth and get healthy and then play football. Once AB decides to be a team guy, instead of worrying about what AB is doing and what A.B. Watts and making business booming, then the Raiders will finally stop, you know, being in a state of chaos. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I have the Raiders as well as my team in chaos. Look, John Gruden is going to put up with this for now for the reasons I mentioned. 
They need Antonio Brown to develop their franchise quarterback, Derek Carr, and give him confidence and give him weapon weapons, a weapon to work with. And number two, the Raiders from management from the top of the top of the the food chain, Al Davis. Uh, I'm sorry, Al Davis. His son, Al Davis. His son, his name is Mark Davis. Is that oh that correct? Guy with the goofy haircut. That's all I remember him. I, I literally just look at him. I can see his face in my head, and I say, "Guy with goofy haircut." who has millions of dollars and should get a new barber. Anyways, <laughs> coming they're moving to they're moving to Las Vegas and they need to sell tickets and it's coming from the top. John Gruden's job is secure. We need to sell tickets to let Antonio Brown do it, but at the end of the day you can't teach an old dog new tricks and John Gruden's not going to put up with this forever. It's going to be a short time. I know winning heals everything and the Raiders aren't going to be doing a lot of winning this year. Antonio Brown's not going to be happy. John Gruden's not going to be happy. And not only are they in chaos now, I see them being in chaos for a, a while now. But hopefully next year it'll get a little bit better for them as they move into their stadium and calm down and get out of the state of chaos. But for now, it's total and utter chaos. Purgatory. Marv, which NFL franchise fan base is in purgatory? The Cincinnati Bengals. The reason I say is Bengals over the years, it's like a couple of years ago when they had Carson Palmer, they were a perennial, at least, playoff team every other year. Uh, you know, they're, but, you know, as Carson Palmer tore his ACL in the playoff game versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, it seems like the, the Bengals have been stuck in purgatory since then. Every year they've gotten worse and worse. And I think this might be their worst year. I mean, I don't, I don't see any end in sight until the Bengals decide that they need to go out and get a real franchise quarterback. And until that day happens, Bengals can continue to be stuck in purgatory and continue to have losing seasons until that, you know, that front office or that coaches have decides to make a change. I think the Bengals are going to exit purgatory and enter hell. I think it's finally time. I see your point. <laughs> They're not going to heaven. They're going to hell, Marv. <laughs> I see your point because they are in purgatory in the sense that they're saddled with Andy Dalton. This year they have a 35-year-old coach, which can work out, but by the, the way it's been working out so well lately, one of them's about to bomb. It could be him. We'll see. <laughs> he knows he knows Sean McVay, though, so he got a job. Anyways, there's not a lot of talent left on the Bengals. It's a tough division. Andy Dalton gets worse every year. So I think they're, they've exited purgatory, taking the elevator down, and they're going straight to hell. <laughs> My purgatory franchise, purgatory team, is the Dallas Cowboys. You have a very grossly overrated big three in Dallas. We've heard Dak demands $40 million. Even if he gets $30 million or, hell, $25 million, he's – handcuffed your team. He is the definition of average. And average, as we talked about last podcast, very rarely wins a Super Bowl. It's usually an elite quarterback that wins a Super Bowl. As we were talking about Tom Brady on that subject, you need elite quarterbacks to win Super Bowls in this era, especially with the offensive explosion. And Dak Prescott is not that guy. You have Ezekiel Elliott, who also demands to be paid. He is a problem off the field. He's a problem on the field in a good way, problem off the field, very immature in a bad way. And then you have Amari Cooper, who's probably the highest value out of the three, but they're worried about his contract as well. So you certainly have a franchise in purgatory and a purgatory that will continue much like the Andy Dalton purgatory for the Bengals when Dak Prescott is signed, because I have no doubt Dak Prescott's going to be signed. And guess how many Super Bowls Dallas is getting? Zero. I don't care how good your defense is. Marv, okay, I'll give him maybe a shot at one, but you know how I feel about average quarterbacks. You need your guy or you, you're nothing to me. You're dead to me. So Dallas Cowboys are, are stuck in purgatory. Last but not least, underachieving. Who's underachieving? I feel like the Minnesota Vikings are underachieving for the talent that they have. They have multiple pro bowlers. They have a lot of high-paid, high-priced players that they've discovered over the last few years in the draft. Plus, they added a quarterback last year worth $84 million, and they failed to win a playoff game. I mean, I don't know what else to say about them. I mean, I expect them to win the division this year, but then again, I wouldn't be surprised if they underachieved again. So my underachieving team is the Minnesota Vikings. 
Yeah, I expect them to be in playoff contention this year. I picked the Green Bay Packers to win the division. I think they'll be right up there at nine and seven, ten and six, but they are very much underachieving. And here's the thing the the infamous Super Bowl window is two to three years, and you were thirteen and three two years ago. You add Kirk Cousins, you get worse to nine and seven. This is looking like the last year of that Super Bowl window. It does not look great for them. I don't have them winning the Super Bowl this year. And their defense, like you said, they got a lot of pro bowlers, offense and defense, but their defense was phenomenal two years ago. It was really good last year, but we know defenses don't usually get a lot better as players get older. They get worse. With that being said, my underachieving team is the Atlanta Falcons. MVP quarterback, lots of talent on both sides of the ball, a good coach, but it's time to put up or shut up in Atlanta. They have a tough division with the Saints, but the Saints should be on the downturn here. As I talked about in the last podcast, Drew Brees is on his very last leg, I believe, and they the Saints just can't get over last year and that bad call. Carolina, Cam Newton, as he gets older, he's going to be less athletic, less capable. His his game is predicated on athleticism, whereas that, like I said, does he get older? That's not going to be great for them. So it's time for the Atlanta Falcons, the underachieving Atlanta Falcons, to play some football, to bring something and show us something, or else I think Dan Quinn's job is in in jeopardy going into next season. Marv, do you think Dan Quinn's approaching the hot seat? Oh, of course. Uh, Normally these head coaches get about two to three seasons to prove themselves. He got a, you know, normally I would say two years. Because Dan Quinn, I think he made it to the Super Bowl in his first, his first or second year. So that, that added another, you know, like a little extension to his contract. But once, uh, you know, you have back to back losing seasons, your, your seat gets a little warmer. And I think if they miss the playoffs this year and don't achieve anything, well, that, that seat's going to be turned up a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if he got fired if they don't make the playoffs this year. So. Hopefully for the for Dan Quinn's sake, hopefully the Falcons take that next step and win the division this year. With that being said, going back to your underachieving team, I want to bring up Mike Zimmer. He's been there for a while, not done a lot with a lot of talent. I know he hasn't had the franchise guy. He's got a now. Is he going to be on the hot seat at the end of this year? Because I, I certainly see potential for that. Let me tell you this. If he doesn't get anything done this year, yeah, I can see him possibly getting the axe or being put on the hot seat. And you got uh Gary Kubiak there who's a a assistant I, I think he's a special advisor on the offensive side. So that can put a little bit more pressure on you, especially if Kubiak decides he wants to become a head coach again. And then if the Vikings fail to accomplish anything, that could be a guy or something, you know, some a situation to look at. In the near future, that could Kubiak be the, the next in the wing, you know, in the waiting to be the next head coach of the Minnesota Vikings if they fail to achieve anything with Zimmer as the head coach? You bring up a great point. A lot of coaching decisions are made by the crop of talent, and we don't know that till mid to the end of the season. By crop of talent, I mean coordinators who are doing a great job. Usually, they're younger guys who we haven't seen a lot of, and on teams that maybe weren't necessarily supposed to be as good as they're playing. So at this time, it's currently a little bit cloudy as to who's who's going to be on the hot seat in that area or who's going to replace who. But if the Vikings fail to make the playoffs, I certainly see him being very much on the hot seat with the potential of getting fired. But I I see restlessness if they go 10-6 and six and don't win a playoff game. They don't win the division. They don't win a playoff game. Let's say Packers go 11-5. and five. With that being said, Marv, we didn't discuss this earlier, but I'm going to put you on the hot seat, make you think a little bit with the coaching talk that we have wrapping up the show here. At the end of the year, prominent team has been in the playoffs or near playoff contention in the last year or two. Which coach is going to get the ax this year? Which coach I could see getting the first ax? Hmm. Similar, think, think similar to Mark, Mike McCarthy. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but somebody who's been extremely successful, I don't know. But go ahead. Okay, then that, that changes it up for me. No, no, um, no, go with your first pick. Go with your first pick. I was just oh, trying no, was to prime the pump there. I was going to say the first head to roll was going to be Jay Gruden. 
<laughs> oh, that's too obvious. Okay, go with the second one. That's way too obvious. Go. Go, go. go with somebody who's actually had some success in the league. No offense to Jay Gruden. I think he's a good coach, but he coaches for a circus, not a football team. Go ahead. I could see um, if Houston doesn't get anything done, I could see Bill O'Brien getting the axe. That's what uh, I was looking for. Somebody who's had some success in the league, not somebody from the Redskins, not Jay Gruden's fault, Redskins' fault. I like that. <laughs> I like that one. That, that, that I could see. Bill O'Brien, the, the Texans have had a lot of talent and they've not gotten, and he's been on the hot seat before. I'm going to mm-hmm. give you mine. I'm going to give you mine, Marv, and I, I would bet on this given good odds. I think John Harbaugh is getting the ax this year. Last year, there was some talk about it and they made the playoffs. And they almost traded them. They they were going to ax him last year at the beginning of the season because they started out cold and then I think they won like they seven won a, in a row, didn't they? The Broncos are really interested in, in getting him if he would have got the ax. But the Ravens then were like, whoa, wow, there's a lot of interest in John Harbaugh. Let's offer him up in a trade, see if anyone bites. They wanted a second round. And in some cases, I heard first round pick for exchange of John Harbaugh. Dude, you guys were going to cut him. Why in the in the world would a team give up a first or even a second round pick to trade for a head coach? Makes no sense. A coach, especially you guys were looking to move on from. So obviously we see now he's still in Baltimore. So that didn't go down because the Ravens are crazy. And you make a good point. If they fail to do anything this year or they regress, then John Harbaugh will be back on that hot seat and possibly getting the axe. And speaking of purgatory in the in the last segment. John John Harbaugh's in his own form of purgatory. I don't believe he believes in Lamar Jackson. I I see him in the general manager at odds. That's why I said you give me some odds. I'm not going to bet even, but John Harbaugh gone from the Ravens, and it'll be more of a mutual parting in my eyes. I don't see the Ravens doing, like we said in the last show, much better than 6-10, and 10, and he's not going to want to hang around because there is a lot of interest in him. And there's there's teams with better quarterbacks and better draft picks that he could partner with. John Harbaugh, John, uh, he's not a he's not a quarterback. This is not his style of quarterback. He's much like his brother Jim, where he he likes stability. He's more of a traditional football coach, and he has a lot of respect around the league for that. I don't think he's a big fan of Lamar Jackson. I think the general manager is more of a big fan of Lamar Jackson. And I see some people being at odds and him being off the Ravens for one reason or another. It would be interesting to see if they form a trade for him, Marv. That's interesting thought there. And I did not know that they were looking at, at, at trading him to the Broncos. A little insider knowledge from Marv. Well, everyone, I appreciate – we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you engaging with us during the week on social media. So continue to do that. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Marv, thanks for joining me. And we'll talk to you all later. Later, everyone.